The South Carolina Senate begins debate on the Human Life Protection Act. Truth in Politics and Culture interviews Alan Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame. Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. And the Biden administration is dogged by an IRS whistleblower who claims he can prove a Hunter Biden cover-up. This is Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam, and it's time to crank it up. You crank it up every morning, but for me, it's uh, cups of coffee. I got to get the coffee going uh, before I get in here and uh, try to even think about doing anything else. But welcome to the program. Thanks for listening today. Uh, we're very excited to have you along. This is kind of a new venture, a uh, new podcast, a new format. A uh, lot of things are new, and we're hoping that you're enjoying the show so far. We're still trying to expand it out to other outlets as far as podcast availability. Right now it's available at Spotify, and hopefully soon it's going to be available at other places where you can find a podcast. All right, today the South Carolina Senate is going to take what could be the most monumental step to protect life in South Carolina ever, because it's going to debate the Human Life Protection Act. Now, the big question is, how is this debate going to go down? Well, we know, or at least we think, that in the South Carolina Senate, there are 24 votes to pass the Human Life Protection Act, which, by the way, begins uh, protects life when a, a discernible pregnancy um, is discovered. Now, I, I'm not... In all the medical terms, uh, I went to, as, as a friend of mine once reminded me, yeah, I went to seminary, not to medical school. So I'm not really too up on the latest medical terms as to when life begins in terms of the medical community. But a medical diagnosable pregnancy is a standard which says once a woman knows she's pregnant, once she is tested as being pregnant, then the Human Life Protection Act would protect, protect that baby in the womb uh, with a few exceptions. It would include rape and incest, the exception for life of the mother, the exception of a fatal fetal anomaly. Now, I'm not a big fan of exceptions I, because I went to seminary. And my seminary experience and my study of God's Word and my relationship with God in Christ tells me that a life is a life when it's conceived. Um, when a baby comes into this world, when a baby is conceived, then at that moment, there's a plan for the baby's life. And actually, there's a plan before. God said to Jeremiah, before I knew you, uh, I formed you in the womb. That is, or rather, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Let's get the uh, verbiage correct on that because that's important. Knowing that God ahead of time, even before Jeremiah was a thought, was a thought in the mind of God. And that's theologically correct. And that's why I've always been in favor of protecting life at the earliest stages that's politically possible. And yes, I put it that way because there are some things in our world today, in the current environment, that is just, that's just not politically possible. And I'm hoping that the protection of life when a medically diagnosable pregnancy is uh, detected, I'm hoping that that's politically possible. Uh, we have the 24 votes. What we don't have are the votes that's necessary to end a filibuster. Uh, we're a couple of votes short of that. So the big debate today as it begins in the South Carolina Senate is going to revolve around can we find enough votes to be able to set down the filibuster, that is to get the vote to the floor for a, get the measure to a floor to the floor for a vote. If we can, um, it looks like there's 24 votes to pass it. But getting over that filibuster, getting the actual bill to the floor for a, an up or down vote is a fairly heavy lift. You've got six to eight Republicans, and that number varies from time to time, but you've got a group of Republicans in the Senate that they passed the heartbeat bill. Uh, that's where they are. 
That's where they think South Carolinians are. That's where they think the country is. Um, and that's why they chose to vote in favor of the heartbeat bill and send it over to the House. So convincing those six or eight um, to refuse to filibuster, it, particularly if they know that the 24 votes are there to pass the Human Life Protection Act, is going to be a little bit of a sticky wicket. So we're going to have to uh, kind of see what happens. There's been a lot of effort put into this. The South Carolina, the Office of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, uh, which is I serve as the director of that office, along with Palmetto Family, which I'm the chairman of the board of the Palmetto Family Board, uh, Palmetto Family Council, and the South Carolina Catholic Diocese all signed a letter, a joint letter, that is going to senators this morning. It's going to be on their desk asking them to pass this bill and giving the rationale for passing it, the, the precious nature of human life and the fact that South Carolina is becoming an abortion destination state. Actually, it isn't becoming an abortion destination state. It already is, and it is to the tune of about 800 abortions a month. Now, for those of you who haven't been keeping up with this, um, you know, when I say 800, it was actually over 1,000 last month. And so um, what, what we're seeing in South Carolina is a return to the early 90s in terms of the number of abortions that are happening. Uh, even if you were a Democrat of the 1990s when you wanted abortion, you know, back in the day when they wanted abortion to be safe, legal, and rare, uh, today they want abortion to be mandated, celebrated, and, you know, become the thing um, for everybody. Um, and, and it's just, it, it's incredible to me that we've, that the Democrat Party in, in particular has come that far on this issue, that progressives have been able to hijack the party to the point that now having an abortion is one of the best things that a woman can do for society. I mean, it's a part of women's health care, uh, which is, is just, it, it's amazing that anybody would accept that that abortion is a health care issue. Um, it's bad for the mother. It's death for the baby. And to call that a health care issue is outrageous. But that's that's the rhetoric that we're getting a lot of times from, from progressives. So today is important. It's an important day. If we're going to stem the abortion tide, there was a time in South Carolina when we did have uh, 12, 14,000 abortions a year, but that's been decades ago, and now we're heading back to that time. And the at the very moment when Roe versus Wade is overturned, South Carolina has been a conservative state. It has been a pro-life state. A lot of these senators, many of them, and House members, in fact, the majority uh, of Republican House members and senators, ran on a pro-life platform. They pledged that they, if given the opportunity, they would protect life. And today. They have the opportunity, and I would just ask you, if you call your senator today in South Carolina, please be respectful. Please don't call them and insult them, and just ask them to vote for cloture and to vote for the Human Life Protection Act, H3774, um, if, if you want to get specific with the bill. They'll know what you're talking about, believe me, because this thing has been um, pushed back and forth uh, for now, several years, last year, uh, we tried to have special sessions in South Carolina to pass this bill, and we weren't able to get it done. So we're prayerful and we're hopeful. And by the way, being prayerful, uh, we are going to pray today in Columbia. We have um, a prayer meeting scheduled in Columbia today at 11 o'clock uh, to pray that these senators will you know, look at this in the light of the truth. And the truth is that life is precious. It's precious to us as a society. It's precious to us as a culture. Life is precious in the eyes of God, uh, which is the main thing. And I would hope and pray that this bill will not only see the light of day today, which we didn't know that this day was going to come. I mean, if you contact your senator today, thank them for setting this bill for special order, because had it not been set for special order, we would have ended the session in a few days, um, and there would have been no vote. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the session. We've got this week and next week, 
and then the session is going the for 2023 is going to come to an end. Um, the sine die resolution may have some things in there that the House and the Senate may contemplate um, over the summer, but it's likely that it's only going to be budget things, uh, opportunities to wrap up budget debates. So um, today is it. I mean, we're we're getting down to the end of the session, and this is the best chance that we have to pass pro-life legislation. If we don't pass this, and, and this is just something to think about. I'm not saying this is a threat. I'm just saying it is a fact. If we don't pass this bill, abortions are going to continue to rise in South Carolina, and we, we are headed toward the most abortions ever. I mean, we could, we could very well set a record over the summer into the fall before we have another legislative session in January. Um, and, of course, all these folks, the Senate, the House, everybody's going to be up for election in 2024. And that's something that I hope they'll think about today because this is about the people of South Carolina expressing their will. And I believe the people of South Carolina are still pro-life. I think there's a lot of discouragement and disappointment in the fact that we haven't been able to get this done, that we haven't been able to get a bill that is cutting down the number of these abortions. We, we need to have a bill that ends abortion in South Carolina. But the best that we're going to be able to do politically is likely get a bill that would restrict abortion to a medically discernible pregnancy. So we're looking at that today. By the way, there's a lot of false information out there. People are saying that if this bill passes, it'll affect contraception, that people won't be able to get contraception because of the limitations of the, this bill. That's absolutely not true. I mean, this bill's been vetted. I, I don't know of another bill in South Carolina that's been vetted more than H3774. And it's not going to bring anything like a um, uh, any kind of end to contraception. It What it will do is restrict abortion in the terms that we've already described with the exceptions that are in there in order to get the votes that are necessary to get the bill passed and to protect life in South Carolina as much as we can legislatively. All right, yesterday I had an opportunity, just a, a rare chance, to talk to Alan Robertson. Uh, I should say, Reverend Alan Robertson. He's been a pastor. He's been on. He's been on Duck Dynasty. He's part of the Duck Dynasty clan. Um, really nice guy. He's coming tonight to the Greenville Convention Center. By the way, if you'd like to come, you're welcome. It's the uh, Greenville County Christian Learning Center, or sometimes we say the Christian Learning Centers of Greenville. Tonight is their friends and fundraising event at the Greenville County, uh, at the Greenville Convention Center. And Alan Robertson is going to be our, our guest speaker. Now, this guy has has done a lot in his life, but but the main thing that he has done is turn the platform of Duck Dynasty into an opportunity to preach the gospel, to encourage people in their marriages, um, to help people understand the radical nature of forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, he goes around and helps support crisis pregnancy centers by speaking at those centers and, of course, uh, organizations like the Greenville Christian Learning Center that helps get the Word of God into the hands and into the minds of young people as they're going to school. And it's about the only way in the current environment that we can do that. Uh, Greenville Christian Learning Center has hundreds of students across Greenville County that uh, once uh, for one period a day, they go and they get biblical instruction. Uh, and they're able to do that because their parents uh, allow it. The school allows them to, to leave the classroom, go to a particular place that's set up to do release time, um, and then they're taught the Word of God. And Alan Robertson is a big supporter of that, and I really enjoyed, I'm looking forward to hearing him tonight, and I really enjoyed our conversation yesterday. Now, let me warn you that he was in, in an airport getting ready to come here when I was talking to him when I recorded this interview yesterday. And so you're going to hear a lot of background noise, and there's not really much we can do about that because it was just the nature of where he happened to be. But here's yesterday, the interview that I did yesterday with Alan Robertson. You're listening to Truth and Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam, and I appreciate you joining us today for the live show and also for the podcast. We're honored to have on the program today 
Al Robertson from the Duck Dynasty clan, and he's going to be coming to Greenville tonight, actually, at the Greenville Christian Learning Center Friends and Fundraising event. That's at 6.30 tonight uh, at the Greenville Convention Center. So we want to welcome him to South Carolina. But welcome to the program, Al. Thanks for taking some time with us today. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate you having me. You know, um, we, we're very fortunate to have you as our speaker because as a pastor and as someone who's been involved in ministry, across a lot of different areas, you understand the need for Christian education, the need for children to hear the gospel and to be able to hear the truth uh, during the school day. So I know that you know about Greenville Christian Learning Center and about what we do and how we do release time ministry. What was it that sort of drew you in to come and speak at this event? Well, you know, Tony, for me, it was, uh, it was really exciting because, I, you know, I speak all around the country and for a lot of different causes uh, on behalf of the unborn as well as marriage and, you know, just, you know, uh, pregnancy centers and so many different things. And so I've been hearing more and more about programs similar to yours in other states. And so, uh, you know, when I got word from our folks that book us that you guys were actually uh, looking for somebody to help you. Uh, raise some funds in your community for this particular program, I jumped at it because uh, I do think it's so important to offer, especially uh, in public education, an opportunity to learn about the Bible. You know, I, I really think that was yeah, at one time in our culture, in our country, that was the bedrock of our understanding was that we understood God first and then we understood family and country. And now that's gotten kind of turned upside down. And so to be able to offer that, what you guys are doing in the Greenpool community, uh, I jumped at the chance to be able to offer our assistance to do whatever we could to make that uh, expand and go better. Well, we really appreciate it, uh, Al. And, you know, you're right. When I was in uh, middle school, I remember my sixth grade teacher we would go eat lunch in the dining hall. We'd come back, and the first thing she would do was read the Bible to us for 30 minutes. That was considered part of our lunch break, and she did that every day. Um, and we've lost that in our country, obviously, and we need to try to regain the spiritual education of our children as much as we can. Now, you were you kind of joined the cast of Duck Dynasty. It was such a big hit on A&E, one of the most watched cable programs ever, uh, you came on a little bit later in the program, but since the program is over, you have still been involved with the family, with the ministry, and traveling all around the country. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, we were involved in full-time ministry in West Monroe. We were at our local church, and so when this thing kind of first came along, we had been involved in, the, in a show we did on the Outdoor Channel, and Lisa and I were able to be a part of that and still maintain full-time ministry, and all of a sudden, this thing, this opportunity came along for Duck Dynasty on A&E, and we didn't really know what to expect. I mean, they were talking about national television, and we just kind of all looked at each other and thought, really? And, uh, you know, Dad kind of famously said, I don't think this will ever work, you know, because I don't think people just want to watch us uh, shoot ducks and, and talk about Jesus. But as it turned out, it became a huge hit. And so because of that, after a year and the success of the show, then we began to kind of migrate back to our original work, which was working for our company, and then eventually being on the show. And, of course, now we get the opportunity because of the platform that God's built for us to get to travel all around, speak, uh, you know, many, on behalf of many causes. And so it's been a really interesting journey. I, we've never lost our roots in West Monroe. We still love our local church. We still love our local community. People ask us all the time, well, how do people react to you in West Monroe? Just like they always did. You know, we're just the Robertsons who've always been in this community. And so we love that. And yet God has built us something bigger. And so because of podcast and all these other opportunities, we get a chance to really get out there and disciple and continue to spread the gospel to a lot of people. Now, you and Lisa have co-authored three books, uh, A New Season, which is uh, sort of about the, some of the early struggles that you had in your marriage and how God redeemed that and how uh, you've become, I mean, just an, an amazing family. You've been married for over 38 years now, uh, have daughters and six, two married daughters and six grandchildren. Uh, the other book is The Duck Commander Devotional for Couples. And then the latest book is Desperate Forgiveness. Now, that title really kind of grabbed me. Talk a little bit about that book, if you would. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you said that, Tony, that it did grab you because we kind of had to fight for that title. We came in with the idea 
of putting desperate in the title of a book. You know, first it was our agent, then it was book people that said, "Oh no, that's just that's too harsh of a word." We we thought, "No, you don't understand our lives. When you need desperate forgiveness, you need it." You know, we thought of people like Peter and a lot of other people in the Bible and the woman, you know, in Luke seven that are just there, and there's nothing else but forgiveness that will do. And so that's how that title came to be. And really, that story is sort of a sequel to our story because after you know, 25 years of healing and us being able to tell and share with a lot of other people about the victories God brought in our lives. We've obviously had many, many opportunities to then help other people and especially couples on the marriage side find that same healing. And so Desperate Forgiveness is a, is a book full of stories of people who were in desperate places but found forgiveness either from God, from one another, from family members, from whatever it took, and then found a way and a pathway to healing and, and relationship and redemption. And so it was really our story. And then as it went out, it's, it was God's story continuing to work through us. You know, God really is in the restoration and forgiveness business. I mean, I, as a minister Absolutely. of the gospel myself, God has blessed me with the opportunity to do interim pastorate work, even as I work at North Greenville University and do some of these other things with the podcast. But, you know, I, I'm so thankful that there's someone with a testimony that can say to couples today that struggle that you don't have to throw in the towel, that, that you don't have to give up when trouble comes. You can come back together and make something beautiful. And there's nothing more beautiful than a man and a, and a wife living together, created a creating a family, and reaping the benefits of that. Let me ask you this. You know, I talk a lot about the title of my show is Truth in Politics and Culture because I think politics and culture are important, and it's also so important to have the truth in both of those things today. When you look around at, at the world that we live in, uh, how do you advise people how to take the pressures of culture today, the changing environment, the way that people's values seem to be shifting so quickly. Uh, what would you say as a minister of the gospel to people listening to find the hope that they need to hang on in a culture like that? Well, what you just described is the super importance of having a core that you can always go to. You know, when I look back and I see what Jesus did, the remarkable job he did when he left here, to remind the disciples that, look, things are going to get hairy. Things are going to get difficult. What you're facing is going to be a massive task to now step into my shoes. But at the end of the day, you've always got the core of what I've left for you to do. And so I think the same thing is true for marriage, family relationship within your own family, your church, whatever it is. You have to have the core of who you are. And that way, as the, as the tide shift and things change in culture, you don't get swept up and lost in that. You've got to know who you are, who you belong to, and you've got to be anchored to something. And in our case, it's anchored to the gospel of Jesus and then what he's asked us to do. And so we never lose our way that way. If, if culture, if you know, the floods rise around us, we're always going to have an anchor point to be able to deal with that. And I'm noticing the same thing within family. I mean, if your family can anchor to that, then you can survive it. You can, you can make a difference and you can still hold to what's true. It's not easy, but you can do it no, no matter what's going on. And what happened is you'll attract other people because they'll see right. that stability and say, I want that. Oh, yeah. Well, when, when the cultural does get, does get kind of out of control, as it seems to be today, people do look for things that are fixed when everything is changing. And so they will yes. come to you if you can demonstrate the calm in the storm, so to speak, and they'll want to know why, Correct. and it gives you a chance to talk about Jesus. All right, I, I know we need to wrap up, but let me just ask you one other question. What was the best part? What was the most enduring part of being part of an amazing television program that reached so many people, uh, your best memory and best opportunity from that from that in your life? Well, one thing was, in my case, it was to get to work with my family every day um, and do something that we knew as it continued to go on was going to be something that really mattered for a long time. I mean, you know, you think back, and I, I said, you know, someday my great-great-grandchildren We'll be able to look back and and see, you know, kind of what my family was like because we got this opportunity, and and very few people get that except through pictures or a handful of videos. And so, one was just the love of family and being able to do all that together. But 
But the second thing I would say is the people that we've been able to meet along the journey. I mean, you know, there's so many like-minded people, uh, some, you know, obviously who are well-known, but a lot of them are people who nobody knows. And yet are tremendous warriors. And to come across uh, the paths of these people through the process of all of us trying to advance the kingdom of God has been the greatest blessing of all. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. You know, I felt like when I was pastoring a church, it was a great, great life. And I, but I was in a pond, you know, and I was in that pond and I was doing everything I could to make sure that pond was everything God wanted it to be. But then he took us and delivered us into this uh, ocean. And uh, right. it's just been amazing. And so we've just been able to take that and say, man, God, look at the blessings. Look at the people you have uh, that are out there. It was kind of an Elijah moment for me. You know, there are many out there that haven't bowed the knee to bail, you know. Well, brother, I got to tell you, I am really looking forward to hearing you speak tonight. I appreciate the fact that you're coming. I'm actually on the board for the Christian Learning Center of Greenville, and um, I know that everybody that's coming tonight is going to be blessed by how the Lord uses you to help with this ministry. And I wish you safe travels, um, and that, uh, and we'll see you tonight. It's at 6:30 at the Greenville. Convention Center, that's one exposition drive in Greenville. Come on, uh, join us. I think doors are going to open probably around 6, and we'll look forward to seeing you there tonight. Alan, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. Thank you, Tony. We're looking forward to the opportunity. Okay, that was yesterday, um, obviously, that I recorded. Like I said, he was at the airport. There's a little bit of background noise. But I, I, have, to t I have to tell you, I was really impressed um, with him uh, just the calm way that he talks about his faith. Uh, we need more of that in our culture today. People who are have been touched by God in a way that's real, that's genuine, and that affects the way not only that they live their life, but the way that they communicate, the way that they, they talk to us, the way that they encourage us. Um, I'm looking forward to reading Desperate Forgiveness because I know so many people have been affected by being alienated from other people because of things that have been done to him. Uh, you know, the bitterness, the anger that can rise up in a person because of injustice. It can ruin a person's life. That's the paradox, is the fact that you want to embrace that anger because you feel like by embracing anger and bitterness, you're, you're some way going to validate it. You're some way you're going to be able to lash out and make a difference. And yet, the platform of anger and bitterness and, and jealousy and all of those things actually is a platform of self-destruction. Self I mean, it's eventually going to take you down instead of taking the person down that you hold the anger or the bitterness or the institution down that you hold the anger or the bitterness toward. So we're all in need of we are desperate is the way that I look at that for forgiveness, for the peace that passes understanding. We're desperate to receive from God the cleansing of our soul in a way that makes it possible for us to see others in a different light and therefore have mastery over our own emotions, over our own thinking. Um, and it sounds like Alan Robertson has done that, and I'm sure he's going to talk about that tonight, as well as the, the importance of passing on to the next generation our faith. And one of the ways we do this, one of the main ways we do this is with the Word of God. You know, I was talking about this past Sunday when I was preaching at Five Points Baptist Church. I have the honor of being their interim pastor right now, and I'm preaching through the book of Ephesians. And so many times in Ephesians and throughout the New Testament, Paul talks about being filled with the things of God, filled with the Word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I, I talked about the fact that we're, you know, the Bible also says that we are, we have this treasure in clay jars that actually have cracks. You know, the, the, the thing is, the Christian life is not perfect. And through those cracks, the world gets to see Jesus working in us. I mean, how can you see into something if there's not a way to look inside? And the fact that our lives have been through trial, tribulation as believers, and we show the cracks of this life, and through those cracks, the world sees Jesus doing an incredible work in us in forgiveness and restoration and strengthening, strengthening <laughs> well, there's some words I should stay away from, making us strong in the fact that his presence in us, in the inner man, as Paul calls it, the inner person, 
that's where our strength comes from, and that's where our testimony shows. So how do we stay full? The problem is we're cracked vessels. How We leak the presence of God. We, we sort of leak this fulfillment that Paul says that we should be filled with to the, to the fullest. And the best way I know is by immersing ourselves in what Paul is talking about, in the Word of God, in our relationship with Christ, in prayer. Because if you take a bucket, it's got holes in it. It's, you're going to leak. If you put water in that bucket, it's going to eventually leak out unless the bucket is immersed in the water. If it's completely filled with water and in the water, then it doesn't matter if the holes are there because the, the water is going to continually fill the bucket. And that's how in the Christian life that we're able to endure a lot of the things that we have to endure is we're immersed in the things of God, in his word, in prayer, in our relationship with him. Um, I think Alan Robertson is a, is a person who is immersed in the power and the presence of God, and I'm looking forward to hearing him tonight. That's at 6.30 at the Greenville Convention Center. It's the Greenville Christian Learning Center's uh, friends and fundraising event. We hope you'll come and join us. It's free. There's, there's no charge. It'll be great fellowship. Uh, there'll be some hors d'oeuvres. Uh, you can come and enjoy a good time um, and enjoy good fellowship and hear Alan Robertson talk about his experiences at Duck, at Duck Dynasty, but also talk about the importance of being involved in a program like Greenville Christian Learning Center that puts the Word of God out for school children every day. All right. Uh, yesterday, it, did you hear the thunderclap? Did you feel the earth move under your feet? Um, you know, Carlson out at Fox. Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. That, that's, he's the most watched cable news personality um, it, a, across all platforms. I mean, in terms of his influence, it, it's an amazing influence. Uh, the news came yesterday, and to say that it was a stunner would be kind of like saying that the explosion of the SpaceX latest rocket was a fireworks display. In other words, it would be an understatement. There's no way to overstate the, the thunderclap yesterday that came when Tucker Carlson, it was announced that he was out at Fox. He was the most watched. He was the most controversial. If it came to his mind, it pretty much came out of his mouth, which made him a target for the left. But it also made him a target for those on the right who would be more comfortable if he just moved to the left. I mean, that's really, there are people on the right that were not very happy with Tucker Carlson, and they were willing to disparage him as much as people on the left. Uh, it made them uncomfortable. Uh, he railed against the COVID vaccine, his adamant criticism of the way that the legacy media spun a narrative about January 6th that turned it into the worst thing to happen to the United States since the Civil War made him a pariah to other pundits who wanted to, to be him. I mean, these pundits that would uh, criticize him, and by the way, one of the pundits that criticized him uh, very much was Don Lemon, and Don Lemon is out now at CNN. But now that wasn't a thunderclap. That, uh, that was a passing spring shower. Uh, Don Lemon's influence is nowhere near what Tucker Carlson's influence is. Uh, Tucker Carlson will probably go out and create a media empire. Uh, Don Lemon, uh, probably not so much. So we're not going to talk as much about him because his influence is not near what Tucker Carlson's influence was. Um, Fox just simply, I mean, they put a message out yesterday that would fit in a fortune cookie. I mean, he basically said, Carlson, thanks for uh, the years. Thanks for your influence. We wish you all the best. Now, that's the corporate world's way of saying, we're done. Have a nice day. And it's interesting because he didn't even have a chance to say goodbye to his audience at Fox, which is not going to endear uh, a millions of people to Fox News, I'm telling you. Uh, Friday night was his last show. Last night, I think it was, um, oh, what, what's his, I, I can't even, his name won't come to me at the moment. Uh, um, anyway, he, there, there's going to be a rotating uh, group of Fox hosts, Brian Kilmeade, that's who was on last night. I knew it would come to me. Just this rotating group of hosts that are going to try to take to fill Tucker Carlson's spot at uh, 8 o'clock, which is the prime news time. 
Uh, it's the that's the hour when Fox gets its biggest ratings, but it's also mainly because of the personality they put there, but it's also the hour of the evening. That's when most people are likely to be through with dinner and sit down and watch an hour of television. So um, last night, Brian Kilmeade, a lot of people are saying that the likely replacement for Tucker Carlson um, is going to be another Fox News personality, uh, Jesse Waters. Uh, Jesse Waters is on at 7 o'clock. He kind of has the same take that Tucker Carlson has. He has kind of the same disdain for legacy media. And so it's a possibility that Jesse Waters is going to be the guy. Um, Tucker Carlson was the target of lawsuits. Um, he was the target of rapacious media criticism, left-wing violence. I don't know if you remember, you probably do, that in November of 2018, Antifa protesters showed up at Tucker Carlson's home banging on the door and spray-painting an anarchy symbol on his driveway. Carlson wasn't, wasn't his home wasn't home, rather, at the time. But his wife was terrified by this. I mean, she called the police, said they were banging on the door. This is the kind of reaction that Tucker Carlson elicited uh, from people, really, um, sometimes on both sides of the aisle. He was widely panned when he started airing video of, the Jan of January 6th provided to him by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Um, but that video raised new questions about the media's coverage, and it revealed how the January 6th commission twisted facts and selectively edited video to embarrass Republicans while ignoring the facts that contradicted the overall narrative of events of that day. So, you know, I, Tucker, he, he did things that other people would not do. He did them in a way that really in, sort of endeared him to a broad audience because he was willing to speak his mind. Now, one of the things that caused controversy at Fox was Patriot Purge that aired on Fox Nation, which is the streaming side of Fox, and suggested January 6th was a false flag event that was perpetrated by the government. And that led to the departure of a couple of news commentators, Jonah Goldberg and Steve Hayes, both pulled out at Fox after Patriot Purge because they felt like that uh, Fox had put a lot of resources into something that they believe was not true. Now, let, let me say this about, about Patriot Purge. I don't think that January 6th was a false flag um, moment. I don't think the government sponsored it. I don't think the government made it happen. But I do think that the Biden administration has greatly exaggerated January 6th for political purposes and that the January 6th committee was, was a joke. I mean, it, it was populated either by progressive Democrats or Republicans who had Trump banging around in their head to the point that they felt like that their entire life had to be dedicated to the, to the destruction of Donald Trump. And you put those people together on a commission and think it's going to be fair? You think you're going to find anything that's close to the truth? I mean, they didn't. Uh, it was a one-sided presentation produced as a television program in the way that a TV program would have been produced, and it was touted as a legitimate hearing. But at a legitimate hearing, you hear both sides of the story, and you only got one side of the story from the, the uh, January 6th commission. And so I, I think that it's right to point those things out. I, for me, it goes too far. I, I think the evidence is scant that the government was behind all of this, um, but it's also, you know, wrong for people to magnify January 6th into the worst thing since the Civil War when there have been actual incursions into the Capitol that have caused the death of people. And, it, you know, and I know everybody talks about, oh, there were five people that died. Some media outlets say there were six. There was one person that died on January 6th, and that was Ashley Babbitt. And I, her name should continually to be, continue to be remembered because she was a protester who was shot by a Capitol Police officer. That's the only person that died that day. Uh, the rest of the, the people that, that, as a result of what was taking place at the Capitol, there were some other people that died from, that had a stroke, 
that maybe had a heart attack or had some other medical emergency that could have happened no matter where they were. And to attribute that to January 6th is just to pump up the numbers to make it sound more devastating uh, and to paint Republicans as extremists and to paint anybody that follows Donald, Donald Trump as some kind of insurrectionist. Um, and you still got people waiting trial on January 6th and all of this. And we've talked about this at length on the radio program um, in the past. I don't, I don't want to rehash all that here, except to say that Tucker Carlson was a voice for those who believe that the January 6th commission and a lot of the things that have come out of January 6th have been exaggerated for political gain and political purposes of the left. And there's no question about that. People's lives are being destroyed or at least being greatly altered because of all of the desire from progressives to condemn anybody or anything that had anything to do with January 6th. There were some violent elements. Were Capitol Police officers hurt? Yes. Did people push through barriers to get inside and some uh, do things that, that shouldn't have been done and, and bringing a message that was not true? Yes, all those things are true. But it's also true to say that the exaggeration of that event has become political and that it bears no resemblance to the truth if you look at the legacy media's way of reporting it. Tucker Carlson came a lot closer to the truth, except for, as I said, I, I have my disagreements with Patriot Purge. I don't necessarily think that it was any kind of government collusion that caused January 6th to happen. Um, Carlson, Tucker Carlson was the face and is the face still of the populist right. Uh, populist conservatism is, um, how would I characterize it? It's, it's more comfortable uh, using government power for what they believe is a right outcome. You know, many conservatives, don't, they don't want the government to be involved. They think the best thing is smaller government, less government. Some populist uh, conservatives believe that it's okay to use the government as long as the government is being used for a good outcome. He was pro-worker, uh, is pro-worker, Tucker, Car Tucker Carlson, and he's very critical of the war in Ukraine. Um, he wants the United States to stay out of foreign wars. He has sort of an isolationist view of U.S. influence around the world. Now, let, let me say that that's a valid, debatable point in politics and in the culture today, is what is the United States' role in the world? Should we be involved in Ukraine? There's one reason, well, actually there's several, but there's the main reason that I think that our involvement in Ukraine is justifiable is because of a treaty that we signed with the Ukraine promising to protect them if they were attacked by another country, if they would give up their nuclear weapons. And I know a lot of people poo-poo that, and they say, well, that doesn't matter. And that, that, that. But, but let me just say, when the United States gives its word about something, particularly when we say to another country, we will support and protect you should you come under attack, if you agree to do what we think is best, then I think we have an obligation to at least do what has been done in the war in Ukraine, which is support the Ukrainians with supplies, weapons, so that they can fight back against Russian aggression. Um, the Russians, the Chinese, they're getting closer and closer in their relationship, and Iran is joining that, uh, that duo to make a triangle. And, of course, North Korea is going to be in, is involved in a lot of the alignment that's taking place around the world uh, you know, the Soviet Union was, uh, was defeated by, I, I believe, by Ronald Reagan's policies and by the follow-up to those policies, by American strength. That's how the Soviet Union unraveled and came apart. It didn't have anything to do with uh, Gorbachev. I mean, it, the, the, the left likes to exalt him as some kind of hero because he's really the one that brought down the Soviet Union. Now, Ronald Reagan is responsible for the demise of the Soviet Union and all those who took up Reagan's policy of peace through strength through the years. Uh, we bankrupted, basically, the Soviet Union by causing them to not be able to keep up with American technology um, and 
they it, it it so that was one of the main factors in what happened economically as well. It wasn't just military strength; it was economic might that eventually brought the Soviet Union down. And now the United States is going to have to be the leader in pushing back against this new threat, which is coming from Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea, and to a lesser degree. But those three are forming partnerships that are a threat to the United States, a threat to our way of life. And I don't think that isolationism is the answer to that. Now, do we need to go out and pick a fight and get in a war everywhere around the world where there's oppression? No. But I think when major players that are aligning themselves against American values and American democracy and are trying to change the world order so that America is not the world leader, uh, they're trying to affect that. China's trying to become the world leader, leader along with Russia. And they think that together they can put pressure on the American dollar. They can, um, they've got the Saudis involved in that. Uh, Saudi Arabia is actually uh, exchanging oil right now with China in using not American dollars, but using Chinese money, Chinese currency. And so this is, you know, uh, it's a it's a legitimate threat in my mind uh, to the United States. Now, if we don't need troops in Ukraine, uh, we don't need uh, to be putting soldiers over there in a major way. I was not surprised when the secrets came out from the Pentagon, the leaked documents that we've talked about before here, that indicated that the United States has had special forces on the ground along with other countries in Ukraine. I assumed that that was the case. But we're not talking about massive amounts of troops or even small amounts. We're talking about uh, operators that are there in numbers of 18 to 20 um, or, or something like that, not massive casualties possible in this war. I, I don't think the United States needs to get into a direct shooting war with Russia over Ukraine. But to the extent that we can prop up the Ukrainian government, help them, to win this war, to push Russian the Russian expansion back, uh, to deplete Russian military resources at a time when we know that Vladimir Putin is absolutely focused on using the military and, and whatever might that Russia has to expand um, Russian interest around the world, along with China. Um, I think that's important. But anyway, I've got, just I, I, I get into these things with foreign policy. Uh, Tucker Carlson, of course, would disagree with a lot of that. He believes that the Ukrainian government is corrupt. Uh, there are a lot of conspiracy theories that are floating around about Ukraine and about Zelensky. Um, Tucker has been a, a proponent of those. But even though I find areas where I don't particularly agree directly with Carlson, I found him to be compelling, and I found him to be a staunch defender often of things that are right and true, and also to be someone who was willing to speak up about what's going on in the world. And I think few people are willing to do that. Uh, it isn't an understatement to say that Carlson is the most influential voice on the right right now. His speech at the Heritage Foundation 50th anniversary event in D.C. reflected much of what we as conservatives are actually feeling right now. Let me play just a little bit of that speech for you right now. We look with disdain and sadness as you see people you know become quislings. You see them revealed as cowards. You see them going along with a new, new thing, which is clearly a poisonous thing, a silly thing, you know, saying things you know they don't believe because they want to keep their jobs. If there's a single person in this room who hasn't seen that, through George Floyd and COVID and the Ukraine war, raise your hand. Oh, nobody, right, you all know what I'm talking about. And you're so disappointed in people and you see people going along with this and you lose respect for them. And that certainly happened to me at scale over the past three years. Okay, so what is he talking about here? Is he talking about people at Fox? Is he talking about his colleagues that he's disappointed with, with some of the uh, positions they've taken because they felt like they had to because of pressure from the Fox Network? Fox Network? Or does it have anything maybe not to do with Fox? Maybe it's just people that he knows that are friends of his that are embracing uh, LGBTQ plus 
uh, ideology or transgender ideology simply because they feel like they have to because that's the direction that the culture is going. You know, giants of our time will be remembered. The giants of our time that will be remembered, I should say, are the ones who shape culture, not the ones who are shaped by culture. And Tucker Carlson is going to continue to be a shaper of culture because of his commitment to core values. Now, like I said, I don't agree with everything that he does, uh, but I don't agree with everything I do. So I, I'm, I'm not um, you know, going to turn my back on him because there are some areas where I think probably we wouldn't line up because I believe he's a person of character. I believe he's a person who has deep convictions, and he shares those um, in a way that's compelling that causes people to want to listen. So why is he out? I mean, why would you get rid of the golden goose, the guy who's bringing the highest ratings to your network? Uh, everybody thinks they know, but I'm going to tell you this, nobody knows for sure. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. took to Twitter to say that he was fired for, quote, crossing the red line by acknowledging that the TV networks pushed a deadly and ineffective vaccine to please their pharma advertisers. Now, this is... Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who says he's running for president against Joe Biden, um, he said uh, for the Democrat nomination, he sees everything through the lens of his activism. So by when he looks at Tucker Carlson being out at Fox, it's an opportunity for him to say, oh, it's when he talked about the vaccine. It's when he undermined the vaccine and it made the the farmer ad, pharma advertisers mad. Um, look, I, I, I don't think that looking at things through one particular lens is the best way to find the truth, uh, unless you're looking through the lens of Scripture. Then you can be sure that what you're seeing is the truth. But if you put up a different lens, uh, you're going to come to a pre-conceived um, conclusion based on your, the, the thing that's most important to you in, in your mind. Um, and, and I don't think this had anything to do necessarily with the COVID vaccine. That may have played a small part, but I don't believe it was the main part. Some, some are saying it's fallout from the Dominion lawsuit. Others say that Rupert Murdoch wasn't happy with Carlson's take on January 6th. But other outlets like the L.A. Times, CNN, and other legacy outlets, the Washington Post, say that it was a combination that Tucker's out at Fox News because of a combination of Carlson's criticism of Fox management that was revealed during the Dominion lawsuit discovery process and a lawsuit that Fox is facing from Abby Grossberg, who's a former top booker for the show. Now, if it turns out that that's part of the reason that Tucker is out, that's going to be kind of amazing because... Um, you know, that, that it, it seems that that's become a pattern at Fox News for um, people leaving. Bill O'Reilly, uh, the main reason when he was at the top, when he was the king of cable talk and cable news, he left Fox because of uh, harassment uh, accusations against him. And here we have uh, the next king, Tucker Carlson, is out um, because a top booker for the show is filed a lawsuit against Fox saying that Tucker Carlson and, and his staff created a hostile environment. Now, do we do I believe that? I haven't seen the evidence. I don't know what to believe. I think that probably Carlson is out at Fox for a combination of reasons. I doubt that it was any one thing. Um, I'm sure that Rupert Murdoch was not comfortable with Carlson's portrayal of January 6th events. Um, I'm sure that having Abby Grossberg having a lawsuit against Fox uh, certainly is not something that would endear Tucker Carlson to Rupert Murdoch. And I'm, I'm also sure that f discovering disparaging things that Carlson said about upper management at Fox during the Dominion discovery at, uh, because of the lawsuit also didn't help him to keep his job. But whatever the reason, Tucker Carlson now just has to decide what he wants to do next. I mean, literally, his popularity is such that he could run for president or he could follow in the footsteps of another controversial former Fox host, Glenn Beck, and launch his own network for his own uh, and create an online empire. I mean, Glenn Beck's, Glenn Beck's already 
put out a tweet asking him to come to Blaze TV. Uh, what a coup that would be. Uh, I'm sure other people are going to want him uh, as part of their organization, Heritage Foundation. Uh, he's good friends with the president of Heritage Foundation, and he's, um, you know, there's a possibility. He spoke there Friday night at their 50th anniversary. He was the keynote speaker, and Heritage is trying to get him to come and join them. But whatever he does, he will instantly have a large and supportive audience because the large and supportive audience that he has is going to follow him wherever he goes. And that's certainly true um, as far as whatever he chooses to do next. So don't think that you're going to be saying, you know, well, we got to say goodbye to Tucker Carlson. Nope. Uh, Tucker Carlson is here to stay. It just depends on whichever uh, platform he decides to build for himself. You know, it, it's amazing. Glenn Beck builds up at Fox News. He gets tremendous audience ratings, and then he's out. And he goes and does his own thing with Blaze TV, which has been very successful. Then you have Bill O'Reilly. Um, he builds up. He becomes the king of cable. He's out at Fox News because of harassment charges or allegations against him. Um, then he he goes and also um, starts a, a, creates a platform for his commentary. Now you've got, you've got Tucker Carlson. He builds this tremendous audience at Fox News. You begin are you beginning to see a pattern here? I mean, um, I, I don't understand Fox. Um, I don't know if they're, you know, Dan Bongino, of course, was they, they didn't renew his contract. Now, he was not the powerhouse that Tucker Carlson was, but Bongino did have over a million viewers, and that was on a weekend. So, um, you know, what, what is happening at Fox News? Is it all related to Dominion? Is it all related to uh, the controversies, this, the political environment that we find ourselves in today? I don't know. But I'm, I'm telling you, this is going to hurt Fox. I believe this is going to hurt Fox more than the departure of Bill O'Reilly. I think it will hurt Fox more than de the departure of Glenn Beck. And the reason is that the political environment overall was different back then. I don't know of anybody that has had more influence over the last several years uh, than Tucker Carlson. He's on the level of a Rush Limbaugh. I mean, you when Tucker Carlson puts stuff out there, um, you know, it immediately is picked up by millions. And that's the same, that's the kind of influence that Rush Limbaugh had. Uh, millions of followers who, if, if you went on there with Rush Limbaugh, if you got interviewed by Rush Limbaugh, then your social media was going to explode. Your exposure was going to be um, incredible. And it's the same thing with Tucker Carlson. So to think that he's just going to go quietly into the night, um, it's not going to happen. All right, we don't, I've run out of time again today um, for the show to talk about the whistleblower episode uh, that's going to affect, obviously, Biden's reelection campaign. And I think is really going to heat up as this whistleblower begins to reveal the information from the IRS that's going to it's going to show that that the government is covering up Hunter Biden's missteps and they're doing it because the Biden administration doesn't want to be embarrassed. I mean, obviously President Biden is going to fiercely defend his son uh, for a lot of reasons. Number 1, his son is the money man for the Biden family. Uh, number two, he loves his son, and he wants to, he's going to defend him for that reason. And number three, he knows that it would be politically damaging to him if it turns out that Hunter Biden is that the investigation into Biden, Hunter Biden, has been stymied by the Biden administration in order to protect the president. And so tomorrow we're going to talk about an article that Margot Cleveland has posted at the Federalist. Title Six Reasons the IRS Whistleblower Will Blow Open the DOJ's Biden Family Protection Racket. Uh, that's a very provocative title. Uh, I've, uh, this article is fascinating. It talks about the support that the whistleblower has with corroborating evidence that's going to be brought forth. And look, folks, I know I'm, I'm like you. You're probably saying to yourself, this is just another one of those things that's going to come and go. Things show up. They, you know, from Benghazi all the way to this episode, the IRS scandal, and every time people skate, they somehow escape responsibility. 
This could be another one of those. Um, I, I don't know. But at least this time, you've got someone on the inside who has backup or has cooperating evidence to make their case that the government's trying to cover this up. And we'll see how far that goes. Thanks for listening today to Truth and Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. Please tell your friends about the show. If you enjoy it, uh, please post it on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, where you can find the show now. Um, go to Spotify, download the podcast, go to drtonybeam.com, the website. Uh, you'll see my latest column that I wrote there for the Baptist Courier. Uh, it talks about gambling in South Carolina. I'm going to have some other articles up soon. That's drtonybeam.com. And, of course, I hope you'll join us tonight at the Greenville Christian Learning Center. If you're in South Carolina or you're in the area, come tonight at 630 to the Greenville Convention Center and hear Alan Robertson and find out how you can get involved in release time education for children in the upstate. All right. God bless you. Have a great day. And thanks for tuning in today.